This is the Blue Cloud Podcast, empowering the entrepreneurial lifestyle with insights on the leading trends in the mobile and digital landscape, turning ideas to empires. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Carter Thomas with Blue Cloud Podcast. Hope you're having a great day. I'm coming to you from San Diego, California. I will be here for a few weeks and then I will be traveling around the country and the world going to places like Colorado, Vancouver, Whistler, Hawaii, Amsterdam, and all that good stuff. I will be sure to drop a line on Facebook so that hopefully we can meet up with various blue cloud people. I would love to put a face to some of these names that we have here. Today, I am I have interviewed, or I guess I should t- say you will hear an interview with one of the best blue cloud success stories ever. And I'm not taking credit for that. I'm not saying blue cloud was solely responsible. I'm saying that Simon has been on our radar and uh, involved in our community for a very, very long time. And if you don't know, Simon Crack is one of the original app entrepreneurs in the in our in our world, in our space. And he's actually more of a serial entrepreneur. And he founded a company called Dead Cool Apps back in 2012. Since then, he's been featured eight times by Apple, right? Eight times. So that's only so far. Generated north of 10 million downloads and released over 200 apps in games. In the last year and a half alone, Simon has signed more than 10 publishing deals. In this conversation, we talk a lot about what it was like back in 2008, 2010, 2011, being in a situation where you were working at a job and you the writing is on the wall and you are about to get fired and then you do get fired. And what do you do about it? You talk a lot about the internet marketing world, about taking a chance on something new and how to stay ahead of the curve. Talks a lot about what it means to get a publishing deal. We talk about numbers. We talk about what makes a successful publishing deal. And then we just talk a lot about being an entrepreneur and some of the most tried and true strategies that have led to his repeated success. And I think that that's the key is that Simon has been able to be successful over and over and over in the app business, no matter what the market conditions look like. And that's what we really start to unpack in this conversation. It was awesome talking to Simon. We had an amazing time chatting. I think you will really get a lot out of this. I would urge everybody to tune in. It's we had, It was just a great time. And with that, I would love to introduce you guys to Simon Crack. This is the Blue Cloud Podcast with Carter Thomas. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Carter. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Terrific. You're one of our, our I guess, our most famous members in Blue Cloud. You've been, uh, you consistently have some of the the best results, some of the best news and best info. So I know this is, this is I'm really excited about this. I know a lot of other people are going to get a lot out of this. So this is great. No, thanks for having me. Um, I've obviously been following your stuff for, for a good few years as well. So it's uh, no, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Right on, man. Well, I wanted to start, uh, I want to 
before we dive into the apps and the games and the publishing and all that good stuff, uh, I want to talk about two things. The first is something you mentioned to me. I can't remember. I think it was on Facebook messages. Like when I first launched Blue Cloud Select, uh, I, I talked about me, uh, you know, this, I was at a conference with Frank Kern, who is this internet marketer, who's actually Trey Smith's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was saying, oh, yeah, I learned a lot from him. And you mentioned, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I Frank Kern was one of the first guys that I met. And so even before that, I think something I don't really know about you and that I'm really interested in is what were you doing? I, I mean, I don't know, five or seven or whatever years ago before you even got into apps. Yeah, so it was... Um... I've been sort of, sort of working uh, for myself for probably about uh, eight years now, but um, yeah, it was about 2007, um, and I, I was, you know, and a couple of years before that, I was working as a graphic designer. So that was like my um, my trade, um, and how, you know what what I actually graduated from from college sort of thing as as a, a graphic designer. And I started to work at a, a company. It was a small company. Um, we did all sorts of, you know, things like websites, brochures, and you know, stuff like that. So that was what I did. Um, but the sort of, I think that was around the time of the, like the credit crunch, and uh, everyone was like, businesses were struggling, especially small businesses like that. And um, uh, I was actually made redundant, so uh, I was kind of like pushed out. But um, I could kind of see the way things were going in that company. So in the sort of background. Um, sort of evenings, I'd get home literally from you know, I'd finish work maybe five thirty. Um, I'd get home back on the computer till about twelve o'clock at night, just in the background um, working on a, a website, which was actually about teaching magic tricks online. Um, so that was my first sort of entrepreneurial um, sort of venture, really. And um, it's called freemagictricksforyou.com, and it's still it's still a website, it's still still run. Uh, it still makes me a bit of money sort of on the side, but it's not really my main focus now. But that was really my first, um, um, you know, sort of entrepreneurial thing because I could just see that, um, you know, I was going to get made redundant and I needed something as a backup. And luckily, by the time I, I actually got made redundant um, first time, and then I actually got employed by another company, graphic design company, for about a year and a half, and then they made me redundant as well. So I literally got, like, pushed out twice in you know so so many years and at that point I just thought um you know I've, I've just got to do this stuff by myself um you know you just can't rely on anybody else to pay you you know I've, I've just got to uh, make it work myself and luckily by the time I was made um, redundant the second time all those evenings and weekends that I'd just been working away on my website paid off um and actually I didn't need to be employed um you know I was making uh, quite a decent sort of you know money in the side hustle, so to speak. So when I was made redundant, um, you know, I was actually, I think my website back then, you know, we're going back a few years, and this is when Google AdSense was like paying out tons of money, and I was literally making like $2,000 a month without having to do anything. Mm. The good old um, days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was but it was actually quite bad because I'd, be, I'd been made redundant, my ex-girlfriend had left me, so I, I literally had no excuse to get up in the mornings. I had no no motivation, um, you know, and I was making money without having to do anything, kind of thing. And uh, no, it was actually sort of, sort of bad times. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I remember at uh, Apple Elite, or was it Apple Elite Two or 
game, I don't know, one of Trey's conferences, but one of his buddies gave a talk about all this mobile app arbitrage stuff he was doing. And this guy was a hardcore affiliate marketer for a long time. And he said the same thing. He goes, you know, this is going to sound really almost pretentious to say, he yeah. goes, but I make so much money that I have, and I've outsourced everything so well that I wake up and I don't do anything. And it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And it's, a, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you get the brass ring. I watched this great David Foster Wallace interview the other night. And for anyone, if you don't know, anyone doesn't know, it's like, he's a famous American author who is very, you know, incredibly smart, but super troubled. And he said the same thing. He's like, I wrote this amazing book and then I had nothing to do. And I, I got like, you know, it was just like the hardest thing in the world. Uh, yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned, and this is a little off topic, but I, I'm just really interested in, is you said when the first company, you know, right around 2008 was getting, or you were getting, your job was getting redundant. Mm -hmm. You could kind of tell where things were going. Yeah. You, uh, can you describe what, what you were seeing or what was happening that allowed you to say, okay, some, there's a shift happening here, whether it be in the company or in the market, but what exactly was that that gave you that sense of something, something's about to change? Yeah, it was, it was sort of twofold, really. Um, that was when sort of um, web, everyone sort of built sort of build their own websites. Um, site builder was kind of like a thing that I sort of found online, and it was kind of like taught you how to do keyword research and how you could actually make money you know, from your, your passion, which at the time and has been for a little while, um, you know, I used to like sort of magic tricks. So that was kind of the thing that I knew that I could teach. So that was kind of going on in the background. Um, and I was sort of researching into that. And um, also, at, obviously, at the company, um, we had, there was probably about six or seven of us, and one by one, um, you know, guys were getting laid off left, right, and center. And, um, it was just, it was, it, this was happening over, you know, maybe sort of a year. So I, I had a bit of a heads up, kind of see how things were sort of going downhill. And it got, it actually got to the point where um, I was made redundant. And then another guy who was like above me, he left because he could see the ship was going down. And then the boss was like, hey, Simon, do you want to stay? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, man, you know. <laughs> You can't chuck me overboard and then want to reel me back in. So I was like, I'm gone. So, hmm. um, yeah, so it was kind of twofold. There was the whole website, YouTube explosion thing going on. And uh, the fact that, yeah, what I was doing uh, was no longer, sort of didn't seem as though it was going to pay the bills anymore. Yeah. And I, it's funny because, uh, so I was working at a startup right around that, during the, between 2008 and 2010. And... You know, in early 2009, after the the core of the bad stuff had happened, I, I distinctly remember they had hired this interim CFO who's very, very much the guys from Office Space where they come in and they tell you to fire everybody. Yeah. And he just had this room. And for two days, everyone in the company just got called in the room and half the people got fired. Yeah. And it, it was amazing to me back, looking back at that because – you know, someone like you, you were, uh, you were in that situation and you were like, like you said, you know, you saw websites blown up, you saw YouTube blown up. I was in a situation and I was actually doing the internet marketing for, or learning how to do the internet marketing for this website. And yet I didn't have the foresight to, to like, to, to trust that there are bigger opportunities outside of the business. Like I didn't believe 
even though I was I was working with this this programmer for fun, he was like, "Hey man, I think this app thing is going to be great." Or you know, hearing about SEO, and for some reason, I didn't I didn't necessarily uh, believe that that was a real business. I didn't think that people were really going to make money. And the reason I'm saying this is because you you took a plunge on yeah. one of Frank Kern's uh, programs. Is that right? I did. Yeah, yeah. I, did. I took the leap. Um, yeah, and it was. It did feel like a, a leap of faith, but. You know, those are good sometimes. And I remember I actually uh, took the afternoon off, still been employed. The boss had gone home, you know, probably to cry in his soup or whatever because obviously everything was going bad. So this was on like a Friday afternoon. I actually left the work. I just just left. I didn't really tell anyone where I was going. But I actually went to a conference that was, you know, about entrepreneurial setting up your own business. And I printed off my website so far and I handed it to the guy at the end of his like presentation. And I said, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Um, you know, it's a, it's a magic it's a website teaching magic tricks, you know, what do you think sort of thing? And he sort of just looked at it and sort of said, uh, uh, looks all right. Um, probably don't give up your day job sort of thing. And then, <laughs> you know, and me in the back of my mind thinking, I don't really have a day job left. Yeah. Um, you know, but that, you know, I, I kept sort of blinkered and I was like, no, you know, this will work sort of thing. And I kept uploading all my videos to YouTube and eventually, um, I think eventually I was, I wrapped up about 7 million uh, views on all my YouTube videos, um, but to to push the sort of website forward and you know learn more, I um, yeah I laid down literally I think it was two thousand dollars for uh, one of Frank Kern's courses for uh, internet marketing. I think it was Mass Control at the time, um, which was a you know healthy amount of money to put down. But I kind of saw it as um, you know edu- education for myself and. Um, it was it was well worth it that you know some of the techniques he was teaching how you know build a list up um, you know from day one from my magic website I just started to build a list and I think now it's I've I've got a list of um, about one hundred thirty thousand guys who like magic tricks you know so from even now every so often I might send them an email and say I've you know got an offer on one of my CDs or DVDs which I sell on my website with all the videos of me showing you how to do the tricks. And uh, you know, do do an offer every every so often, sort of thing. So and that still works out well. But um, no mass control and um, some of the techniques he was teaching, uh, Frank Kern, um, the four day cash machine as well, where you just mail your list like four days for an offer. That I mean that works so well. I did that for my uh, Magic Trick website and uh, literally made the money back for the course and uh, you know and a ton more. So that that was validation, I guess, at that point that. You know, even though it was two thousand dollars that I didn't even tell anyone that I'd spent, um, you know, it was money well worth spent at the time. Right. But I, li- I literally didn't want to tell my mum. I didn't want to tell my girlfriend or my friends because they'd be like, "Are you crazy? You've just spent two thousand dollars on on a course about internet marketing. <laughs> so what what are you doing? You know." But like you, you know, you just got to ignore the naysayers and and just plow on and keep focused. And that's yeah. what I did. <laughs> yeah, and once you. I would imagine once you you see you see this whole new world open up, this online digital world, you know, as especially as a graphic designer, somebody who has the ability to be creative and to you know forge your own future at this point, it must be a, a huge exhilarating experience of yeah. At that point, it was literally like being unplugged from the matrix. You know, you felt like you were the daily grind, getting up, working for someone else, lining their pockets, and literally the even though it was scary, I mean, for the first sort of couple of weeks when I was like, right, I can now, you know, I'm 
I'm myself. I can do what I, you know, employ myself sort of thing. It was, it was really weird. It was a, it was an odd experience. Um, tough to sort of get used to it, like um, because you, you, can, you know, you're you're free in a way, but you've still got to be focused on what you've got to do to make your, you know, make your money sort of thing. So right. yeah, I always uh, say that you know, the if if you have if you want a job or you have a job, it, it gives you a. Um, it guarantees a floor, but it also the price is a ceiling. Yeah, with, entre- with entrepreneurship, you don't have a floor, but you also don't have a ceiling. Exactly. And no, that's that's great. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's not for everyone, but for, no. for the right person, it's it's everything. And definitely, and once you get a taste of it, it's very hard to then yeah. be. I, I think I'm very unemployable now. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. So you you're you're you've got the internet thing. You you're you see this online world that is a real, a real business and there's a lot of opportunity. How does that translate into the app business? What, what, what's the story behind going from a magic site to building your first app or learning about apps? Yeah. Well, I think from, from Frank Kern sort of learning from his teachings, I think he kept talking about his crazy cousin Trey and I kept thinking, who's this guy? And so I started to follow Trey and at that point Trey was sort of bringing out his, earlier courses about apps and stuff and um, Jump Pack, he brought out a game called Jump Pack, so I was kind of following his stuff and thinking this is quite interesting. Um, you know, being personally kind of into his gadgets and stuff, and I had an iPhone, um, you know, I thought, you know, this is quite cool. So, sort of the first idea was to actually just take my website, all the, the, the content basically, and just um, aggregate it into an app. So that was my first kind of idea, I thought that I'll give it a try. Um, so I actually used a, an online website called App Maker at the time, and all you had to do was kind of like paste in URLs and RSS feeds and stuff from your website, and it would just spit out basically a pre-compiled, you know, APK or whatever. You could just upload, and you know, you could adjust certain things, upload, um, you know, graphics for, um, you know buttons and stuff but basically it was kind of pre-compiled type thing but so I just kind of threw that out as a um, just a, a thing and just thought I'd see, see how it goes for the website basically mm. and um, I mean at the time the, the actual app was pretty crappy but it was doing about 2,000 downloads a day um, but I hadn't uh, there was no monetization within it so you know I thought oh brilliant I'm getting all these downloads and really all it was was, I suppose, it was a kickback to the website. So it kept the traffic going for that because people, you know, thought the app was quite cool and they went back to the website. But I definitely sort of missed a trick how I'd released an app and, you know, it, it wasn't, there was no monetization in there at all. So that was kind of the first sort of utility app, and which gave me a kind of, you know, taste for the, for the whole thing. And then the next idea, I thought I'd do a magic um, game sort of platformer game because I've always liked Mario. So that was kind of uh, my next step. But I, uh, I made a big What year mistake. was this? <laughs> like what, what year are we talking about with AppMaker, platform app? Like what year is that at? This, this is before, um, this must be 2000. This is before Chad released his um, App Empire course. It was a few, a little while before then. Okay. Um, cool. Maybe even a year before then, and I didn't do anything with the app. I just released it. It was doing two thousand downloads or whatever a day, and I kind of went back to the website thing, and that kind of sat in the background really for about a year until, um, yeah, 
uh, I was sort of, like I say, following Trey stuff and Chad. Um, and I think you were talking about your Alpha Combat mm-hmm. game and, and started to blog about that. And that's when I was kind of looking into games more sort of at that sort of time. Um, so I decided to build from scratch a platform, a simple platform game based on the niche of magic which in hindsight was a terrible idea, but I didn't know any better back then. Um, I just thought, well, the guys that visit my website, I was getting about 5,000 visitors a day to my website. And I was like, well, these guys are you know, gonna download the app and I'm gonna make millions of dollars. You know, this is a foregone conclusion. <laughs> um, you know, like you all think at the, at the very beginning, that's right. what's gonna happen. Um, but I, met, I remember I spent months developing it over six months six months, um, hired a developer to build it from scratch. Um, and it, it just cost me, I think it cost me $2,600 in total. Um, it may be even a bit more for some updates because I think at that point uh, the iPhone 5 came out, so now we had to stretch it for a bigger screen. And it was an absolute nightmare. So that's a, then I released it and I thought, right, fingers crossed, this is gonna make me millions. Of, of course it didn't, it didn't do anything. It, you know, that made no money whatsoever. And even though I mailed my list, you know, at the time a lot of the guys are um, like, "Oh, this looks kind of cool." So I might maybe got a couple downloads, and then there was a bunch of people saying, "Oh, I'm on Android," and I didn't hadn't got made an Android build. So you know, I kind of at that point I thought, right, well, this this is fun, but this isn't working. I need a different strategy, and that was when uh, App Empire the course was being promoted, another $2,000 course, I thought, you know, jump into it, so, which I did. And I actually signed up via Trey's link, um, his affiliate link, for um, if I did that, I would get Project Zero. Mm. And this was Trey's first real drag and drop game builder. Now this, this is going back, a, you know, even a good few years now, and it was pretty rudimental drag and drop you could only really make side-scrolling, shooting-type games. Um, but the thing with that is you could build it yourself. You didn't have to spend thousands of dollars with a programmer. And for me as a graphic designer, it was great. Right. So the first game I actually made, you know, the first game was the, the magic one that bombed. The second game with my new thinking of I needed a new strategy was with Project Zero while I was learning, watching all the DVDs for the App Empire stuff. And I made a game called Shark Attacks uh, for $100. That's all it cost me. And I think I did most of the graphics myself, but I bought a couple of Rory Free uh, graphics just to sort of help me out, sort of backgrounds and stuff. So, and I think I used a coder as well to upload it because I wasn't sure what to do. Um, so all in all, it cost me 100 bucks. And that one game then went on to make over $10,000 um, in revenue. And even today, it, it still brings in like a couple of dollars. And this, we, we're talking, you know, an ancient app that I hadn't touched in years. Um, so at that point, I knew that, okay, yeah, this, this is a, a better strategy and this is working. So I think I pumped out uh, about 150, 200 of those type games over the years. Um, I never really jumped into the reskinning thing too much. I mean, I did, my, I did the odd reskin, but most of my games were unique in 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 as much as they could be um, for the software I was using like with a project zero game there are limitations um, but I'd always try and adjust settings make things a little bit different 
um, take the compiled code from Project Zero and then add in like multiplayer as well. Mm. Um, you know, and that really worked well. Um, with Nextpeer at the time, um, you know, we integrated Nextpeer SDK and then you could play two player. Um, and yeah, so kind of for the next few years, kind of built on those games, used the odd um, sort of. Uh, you know, thing that happened like the Gangnam style, and I had to jump on that. So I, you know, I brought out a Gangnam game like everyone else did, and and that made a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it also got me, uh, you know, in a little bit of trouble <laughs> from uh, Gangnam people, um, like, which contacted me after a, a good while, um, and I'd made the money from it, and then said, you know, you need to just take this down or you know or change it. So in the end, I think what well, I actually I was open with them. I said, yeah, that's yeah, hands up, fair enough. So we redesigned the character so it didn't look like Psy from Gangnam Style, sent it back to them, and I basically just changed the name into Gang Man. <laughs> like, so he's like a gang, <laughs> gang man sort of thing, and they were happy with it. They were like, yeah, that's fine. And so I just updated that. Um, you know, I could have probably, in hindsight, just pulled the game because it wasn't really making its money then, but it, um, at the time I was just like, no, I need to keep keep my sort of level of games in the store up right and um and then so kind of worked with project zero made a bunch of games then project mayhem came out which was kind of trey's second game builder which was a little bit more advanced um and then i messed around with a bunch of unity stuff as well um which worked well for a time which was basically buying assets from the unity asset store and then just sort of adding a twist you know, you might buy a framework for a third-person sh- shooter, and then I'd add my own um, sort of enemies that I'd buy some assets. So I might buy like the 3D environment, and then I'd buy some assets separately from other guys on the store, and then give it to a coder who'd actually put them together. Um, you know, make a game that way. That worked quite well, and I'd always do the the graphics for it. Mm. You know, I'd always do the icon, the screenshots to make them look cool. Um, and then for the last yeah, sort of year and a half to two years. Um, it's really been solidly build box games, really, that we we, we make now. Mm. Uh, one one thing that's really interesting to me, as I as you tell the the history, and also as I reflect on my own history, is this idea of when it was 2011 or 2012, looking at the market and potential and and finding the few people that were doing really well. I remember distinctly in 2011, 2012. I should say 2012 seeing these guys online that were making huge money off of things like iAds or, you know, they were using services like AppMaker and just like it was, they were seemingly cashing in big time. And I was working on this project and it was bombing. And I was like, what, you know, what am I, what's going on? Like, what am I doing wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And looking back now, it's so easy to romanticize 2011, 2012 and say, oh man, that was the heyday of apps. You know, you could just, you could do anything back then to make money. Release crap. <laughs> yeah. When in reality, it was there was still a learning curve, right? And I think yeah. I think now is is there's no difference in a lot of ways between that and 2016. If someone in 2019 or 2020 could magically teleport back here and look at the market we're in right now, I'm sure That's that the exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> they would say the same thing. They're like, it's not it's not that there's no opportunity. It's just that. You know, your skills need to be honed and you're not, you know, you're not creating the things that the market wants or whatever it may be. Yeah. But I think it's so, you know, history repeats itself and it always does in markets like this. And 
there's so much to learn. And so, and it's also a good reason to keep going to, you That's know, this, right. this idea that it's not necessarily about you. It's just that you're not, you're not at a point yet where you're making the, the products that are going to be rewarded. Definitely. Yeah. I remember when obviously the, you know, a bunch of people were, were just pumping out tons and tons of re-skinned, you know, rubbish in a way. Um, and I never really jumped on like that bandwagon. I tried to, tried to make everything unique, added stuff to it. Um, but there did get a point where those sort of earlier games with the earlier builders were, you know, probably get coming towards the end of their sort of shelf life. Um, or just getting lost in the noise of everyone else's sort of rubbish that was getting put up there. But um, yeah, so like I say, the last sort of year and a half to two years, I think Trey sent me a, a demo copy of Buildbox One. This probably going back a couple of years ago. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, I like this. You know, we can we can build some interesting games. Um, you know, with this software that that maybe uh, yeah, like I say, that maybe Buildbox isn't necessarily wasn't set up for at the time. I think we've given support of quite a few headaches for certain things where we kind of hack it together and then we're like, hey, can you go and fix this? And they're like, whoa, we didn't expect you to do that with the software, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, what's interesting too is from a macro standpoint, when you look at software, when you look at even, you know, what you were building, I think one of the common themes is this idea that you were willing to try something that was relatively new and that was... There was a there's an inherent risk in everything you're doing. It, there w wasn't something that was like guaranteed. If you use this, it will work. You, you know, you still have to do a lot of work. But um, when when you look back at this at the last what I guess four years now, five years, uh, or even back to the website days as well, are there any themes that have not changed for you for the app business? Things that when you look back at your experience in mobile, what what has stayed the same? I think everyone focuses on, well, what's so different? What has stayed the same? Um, quality, I guess, always trumping, you know, rising above everything else. If We've always tried to, um, yeah, keep the quality up uh, from, from day one, really. Um, we, you know, I, and I've always had, even though I've, you know, built 200 odd apps, um, Maybe two must be about two fifty. I had a hand in making every single one of them. Um, more often than I did, ninety nine percent of the icons, the you know the screenshots, I still do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think definitely keeping the quality um, up high and not just putting out rubbish. And if you put out good stuff, then I think good stuff comes back to you. Whether you're doing doing it via your website, you know, I'd always really be releasing new tricks and. Um, new videos and yeah if you release good stuff I think the money then comes back to you um, yeah in kind in a way mm -hmm. totally I think that's one of the that's one of the hardest as a marketer that's one of the hardest things to instill in a beginner is to focus on quality early and I think that yeah. that is part of the learning process and there are some growing pains to going through the idea of producing crappy stuff so that you realize this isn't working and looking back at any portfolio uh one thing that reskinning really did teach the whole community and myself included is that as soon as you go you, you try to go the quantity game you immediately see this this 80 20 principle kick in 
where you look back at the year and you say, wow, I created 700 apps this year and 12 of them make all the money. Yeah. And it's those 12 that are actually really good and that I cared about and I actually put some time into and did some research on. And it makes you realize sometimes having that, you know, measure twice, cut once mentality goes a lot farther, even in the short term, than people people like to realize. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's definitely what we've we've tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even going back a couple of years when maybe the tools weren't quite so advanced, we've always tried to keep the quality up, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to the standard that we could with what we, what you know, the tools we had sort of thing. Totally. And so, like, so now that you, you've, you are... Uh, do you f- exclusive is Buildbox your full time thing? Are you do you do pretty much all your work on Buildbox now? Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Uh, for the pa- past year and a half to two years, we've just focused on on Buildbox stuff. And I think so. We'll t- I want to talk about a couple things specifically. Uh, you know, you've you've got a very you you do Buildbox games, and then you were one of the first people, at least in the Blue Cloud community, that was getting some of these publishing deals and the publishing deals uh, have been for the past year and still are a very attractive proposition for a lot of indie developers, for a lot of uh, gaming developers, for everyone. I think that this idea of partnering with someone who can drive massive traffic and installs to your app or game is super attractive. Yeah. Um, what was, what was the decision to, to get your first publishing deal? How did you go from being an indie developer to saying, hey, maybe I should lock down a deal like this? Yeah, it was kind of like the way I could see things going. I could see sort of um, it becoming tougher to just release an app and, you know, get the decent organic installs that we all sort of used to get when Apple were a little bit nicer to us, you know? Mm-hmm. That was kind of being pulled back a little bit. So I was definitely finding it harder you know, to punch through all the noise um, to actually get, you know, games seen. So, um, and I, I saw Ketchat where um, Trade teamed up with Ketchat. But even before then, I was I was in discussions with guys who um, could drive traffic and they were want, wanting a game and they'd seen my games and um, they contacted me. Um, so, yeah, I could kind of see it going that way. I was thinking, well, you know, my games are decent, but... You know, it's becoming harder and harder to actually um, fight above the noise. So why not team up with some guys that have got, you know, millions of, of users, of followers that can just, you know, throw the game out there and, and you know, for the world to see. And then the game gets, um, you know, merited by its, on its own, um, whether it's good or not, whether you get the downloads and whether people play it and carry on playing it for, for the next few years. So... Um, yeah, so I de- definitely saw the trend sort of go that way, and definitely into 2016. I think it's just gonna. Um, I think more and more people. Uh, I, I know for sh- for sure more and more people are going the publishing routes because they keep contacting me and asking me for advice and stuff and showing me their games and things. So um, no, I can definitely see it going that way, and it's the same for any industry. It's publishing isn't a new thing. Um, you know, going back even for games when Nintendo were releasing sort of ET, uh, they you know struck a an independent guy came up with the game. They struck a deal and released the game, and um, you know, so it's not a new thing, but it's certainly uh, 
an interesting thing for apps. I yeah, think. I agree. I think that, I think that, you know, even what Google's doing now, you know, that with all these instant downloads, they just talked about a Google IO and th they are aggressively trying to make it easier to install apps. Yeah. They, they and Apple both know there's a huge discovery problem and they know that the ecosystem of the app stores is way too closed. Yeah. And what gets me really fired up about apps for the future is just exactly what you said. This is, these are not new business models, right? No. Like publishing for books, for websites, for virtually anything that needs distribution has been around forever. And also, also things like the fact that paid traffic is not a thing in the app business really is mind boggling to me. Whereas you go onto the internet and if, if you don't know how to buy $5 worth of Facebook ads, people look at you sideways, you know? And, and so yeah. this idea that these, these winning models in other, in other markets haven't trickled into the app store yet is a really good sign that in the future, so, it will happen, right? Yeah, we've got so much more room to grow. Exactly. You know, it's such in its infancy even now, and you know, we're talking, we're only a few years into it, really. With the, with the publishing stuff, so something that's, uh, uh, I'm really interested in is did you have an, an app, or in your case, a game, that you were really proud of, something that you built and you said, man, this is awesome. I got to get it in front of more people. And that's what drove the publishing deal. Or did you say, I need to find a way to get more downloads. You get a publishing deal and then you say, holy shit, I got to build a much better app. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit, I guess it was a little bit of both. It was the fact that we, we'd got a handle on BuildBox. We thought we were coming up with actually, you know, a fairly pretty unique, game that sort of hadn't been seen before maybe or new mechanics um and that kind of thing yeah then sort of gave us the confidence to think mm, this is pretty unique um you know why don't we reach out to some guys and see what they think um so we did and we uh yeah we got our first sort of you know publishing deal that way um but even before then we've we've teamed up with guys who you know did campaigns on Twitter and, and stuff like that to drive traffic and um, yeah so it was kind of it was a mixture of both I think to answer your question but I think it was just a case of the necessity as well to and, and something within myself to you know keep just keep making a better game than the, the previous one that I've made before right with with the publishing deals did you have a number in mind of expected downloads or was that talked about when you approached them of I want to hit this this many installs, or was that, uh, or was it just like, hey, here's here's how many people we're going to push, and here's what you can expect? Like, how did that conversation happen? Yeah, I just I guess I looked at it as these guys that I've checked out their games, looked in Game Center, you know, we could check roughly how many downloads they're getting, um, checked on App Annie, and you could just see that, <clears throat> you know, their games were obviously getting downloaded a ton. Um, and my you know my games even though I got a decent amount of downloads um, you know there, there just wasn't there was just no comparison so I could see that um, for definite if if they could release the game or get a feature you know via Apple then um, you know that would lead to a torrent of downloads so I you know I thought that could only be a good thing so um, yeah so it was definitely uh, there was never really numbers discussed and I don't think Generally, unless they're doing paid campaigns, they can't guarantee X amount of downloads, really. Um, you know, you, you never know if you're going to get the feature. 
luck, we've been lucky. We've we've managed to secure eight Apple features for eight build box games. Um, you know, so ne never real talk about numbers actually for downloads. But it's pretty evident if you go with a, a decent, large size publisher that downloads will follow, right? Right. Yeah. So with with do they say, hey, um, here's here are the assets we have. Like here are the games we're going to push. Here here's the social networks we can push traffic from. Like, do they lay it out for you so that you know what they're doing? And is it more of a launch type of promotion, or is it, hey, for thirty days we're going to feature it x times like how what, what does that relationship look like to be fair for it depends on on the the type of publisher mm -hmm. um i've had a um obviously there's sort of your usual publisher which is just basically um you know maybe someone like absolute or um you know cherry pick games or something like that where they they've obviously got a contact with apple so they will um either present via i don't know whether email or they actually might yeah, have a meeting and they'll actually go and show Apple the, you know, the games that are coming up um, and then Apple go okay make a note of that don't tell them whether it's going to be featured you know and you never know um, but if you if they've got a good relationship obviously that pays dividends and um, you know more often than not they'll get a feature um, but there are other publishers who will you know, actually spend money on, say, a social campaign and they'll get, you know, guarantee XYZ installs, um, you know, and it, it just depends. There's some publishers that will stump up the money, um, others that will actually, you know, agree to an XYZ amount of dollars for the campaign, but that comes off profit and then you split the profit after that. Um, so there's, there's quite a few different sort of ways that I've, sort of dealt with guys and it just depends on the publisher there's the more traditional route and there's more sort of social paid traffic route as well is there a a particular revenue split that is standard in this world i think pretty standard is 50 50 um that's more often than not that's so that and that that includes Advertising revenue, in-app purchases, and everything. Everything yeah. else. Okay. Yeah. So that that's that's the number that I have come across the most. However, um, depending, I've I've seen it going sixty percent in favour of the developer, um, and I've also seen it on the other end of the scale, um, depending on obviously uh, the guys. I mean, I've never actually physically published with Ketchup, but I'm led to believe that they take a little bit more because of the traffic that they can then bring. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely not a hard and fast um, percentage, and you do have to weigh in the fact of who's actually pushing your game. You know, uh, even 10% even of a catch-up game, you'd be making a bunch of money if they released one, right? Um, not saying that that's the split, but, yeah, you, there's a few factors you need to weigh in. Obviously, the publisher and, and the amount of clout that they've got and, you know, the amount of downloads that they can get, and whether they're actually pushing, you know, money, X amount of dollars via a campaign, you know, that way, sort of stumping it up. Right. Yeah. And one thing I've I've seen, I've seen this in a few app publishing deals. Not, uh, I've only done a few of these back in the day on Android. I did a bunch of publishing deals, but in the in the greater kind of content publishing world, I think one thing that often gets forgotten about is. Um, the ability for a publisher to double down on their efforts. 
And so if you if you if you join forces with a publisher and a game or an app starts to do really well, do they have the infrastructure and the amplitude to to take to the top or or like really blow it out? And I think that that's also important to remember that if you have something if you have a really great product that want it just needs that seed of users and it will rise uh, just because of the natural viral coefficient of it all. That's it, it, yeah, it, it's it's okay to take a smaller percentage if you have a publisher that can that can open up the reserves and drive thirty or forty million people to it. Right? Definitely, and yeah. I think that 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 is something that a lot of people forget. They they get so hung up on the percentage they don't see yeah. the the long term, which inherently is always an you know an indictment to a certain extent on their own product and not, yeah. not believing in the product. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Like I say, I've I've definitely done all different. Uh, splits and it just depends on on who who you're dealing with and what they're going to bring to the table and obviously what you can bring to the table um for sure yeah because i mean at the end of the day publishers they don't necessarily want more deals they want better they want products that that hit the top and stay at the top and yeah they they don't care what it takes they just that's that's the business, right? And it's, that's it. It's and, just, don't we, and don't we all want? Yeah, know, I mean, every, it's like that's what everyone's going for. But uh, uh, that's the <laughs> number one app. <laughs> well, uh, one thing I'm um, I'm interested in is you've got Buildbox as a software. You are obviously well versed in the graphic side and to a large, you know, the internet marketing mentality and, and mm-hmm. skill set. Do you have other people on your team? Yes, yeah. So it's not just me. Um, I, you know, I can't take all the credit. Um, I, I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to coding. Um, and to be fair, that's why I like Buildbox because I don't have to. I could, there's, you know, a bit of a control freak, so I get to pretty much make my game how I want to within reason, um, without having to outsource. But obviously, for different things. Um, you know, advertising network integration, or whether I need to um, do stuff for Android or Windows, then I do have a guy. Um, I think he's in Vietnam, <laughs> but he's, been, he's been, worked with me for you know the past four years. I think um, right back for the first game that we did was Shark Attacks. So he does any any coding that I need. Um, you know, within reason, I can upload apps from Xcode. You know, I can do that and uh, anything integrating. Um, SDKs and stuff. Literally, I don't do that. Um, that's hands off for me. And I've also got another guy in the USA who is great at building out levels. So if I come up with a game, you know, idea, and maybe I'll just do one level, and then I'll give it to the guy and say, right, go build me fifty levels. And he's great at just plowing on and, and coming up with some really cool stuff. So that's generally how we work. Um, yeah, and. I open it up to everybody to throw in ideas as well. Um, if they've got an idea for a game, then every, everyone's welcome to, you know, chuck chuck an idea in, and that that's kind of how we work. We'll sketch out a bunch of ideas, and then we'll actually demo and prototype in Buildbox, you know, a bunch of different ideas, and actually see which ones uh, seem fun to play, and which ones work. Um, and so we might go from 10 to 15 demos and actually only work on maybe two or three or even one game from that bunch. Um, I've literally got hundreds of dead build box projects that just didn't go anywhere or I didn't think were quite 
you know, up to par. Um, so it's definitely not, oh, I just make my next game and it's a hit. Uh, there's definitely, um, you know, a bunch of uh, crappy ones that just didn't go anywhere that you don't see. Mm. And so would you say your primary role is design, ideas, and to a certain extent, business development? Is that is that pretty much what you're... Yeah, that pretty much sums me up. <laughs> and I guess the, the follow-up to that would be if if I could magically tell you about a, a an Upwork 3.0, uh, is, there, is there a particular role or person that cost aside you would love to hire? Or like who would that person be? Um, that's a good question, actually. Um, I've, I have, I've hired a bunch of different guys in the past for do, to do graphics and stuff. Um, but to be fair, the graphics side of things is actually what I enjoy doing. Um, so when I, if I hire someone else to do it, then I'm just sitting there thinking, I want a shot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I want to have a go, you know. Or being a bit of a control freak, they might send it back and I'll be like, well, that's not really how I'd do it, you know. And it's tough being a graphics guy. You just kind of want to jump in and do it. So um, I don't know. There's there's not really there's, – there's no one – that, you know, the small team that we have uh, seems to work quite well, and I can't really think of any any guy that you know we'd love to have that we haven't got necessarily. Um, because, yeah, if that if that took away all my job, then I'd be back how I was, you know, a few years ago where I didn't have to do anything and it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, right on. When you were so, what, what, you know, kind of circling back to the you know, where you were, where you are now, I think that there's a few common themes. I think one common theme that I've, that we've talked about and that you've, you've talked about is this idea where you've, you've, you've gotten a sense that something is changing. You've been very open to greater market trends. And more importantly, is that you, you took a risk on something, you know, or not even a risk. I shouldn't say that. It's that you were, you just went for it, uh, or like not early on. I, you you know what I'm trying to say, but you yeah, were, yeah. you were, tr you, there was a clear, oh, I see a potential trend. I'm going to try to, I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, when you look back, are there, are there one or two or even three clear moments or things that happened to you other than building your first app, obviously, are there a couple of things that you point to as, as major pivot points for your business and also just for your life? Um, yeah, def definitely just going by my, you know, working for myself was uh, a massive eye-opener. And it was something it was, it, which I probably wouldn't have done myself. I don't think I'd ever had the guts to actually just leave a job that was paying me. I think I, um, at the time, I needed to be pushed. I think I was about 20, 26 at the time. Um, and so I don't think I'd ever have jumped ship necessarily. I think being pushed into redundancy actually really helped. Um, because yeah, it's, it's a scary thing to just leave a you know, decent paying job and, and go work for yourself. But, um, so that was kind of my first sort of eye opener of working for myself. Um, getting in, into the industry, probably, yeah, the, the, the game builders really, where I can have my own input and build what I want without having to code was a massive, um, you know, change of pace for me. I, I didn't need to hire a coder. I didn't need to 
pay them a bunch of money. I didn't need to worry if they were actually doing you know, the work properly, whether they were charging me too much, whether there was going to be bugs that, you know, that needed to fix, going backwards and forwards, and actually just having, um, yeah, being hands-on with the app stuff, building out my games has been, yeah, it's been amazing um, because I'm not constrained, constrained you know, to anybody else uh, necessarily. And obviously the guys on my team are pretty tight-knit and we get on well. We've worked together for years, so I trust them. Um, but, yeah, so but it's just a kind, of, kind of a control freak thing, I guess, but it seems to work. Um, so, yeah, and, and just and just following, like, I guess, Frank Kern to Trey Smith and following your stuff, um, yeah, just just keep keep learning as well. I, get, I you know, never stop learning. Um and just roll with the punches in the industry when when something seems to be not working anymore then you try something else um and that's definitely how the publishing side of things came around where you know i just thought well i'll give it a try um and it worked really well so then obviously you, you reach out and find other guys and then they go oh, you know other publishers go oh, i saw your game really like that game you know so you meet another publisher and uh and just gen generally networking i guess with all the guys in the industry um and yeah, getting to chat with them and hopefully meet up at, at events as well. <laughs> yeah, right on. I think you know. I think you nailed it. And I, I one of the biggest, one of the biggest realizations I had in 2015 was this idea that you're actually pushed into your purpose. And I, I, I find that when I, when I think about my life and I think about the, the growth and the things that have happened to me, it's always in a position where it's, it's, it's a byproduct of change. It's a byproduct of doing something new. And I think it's, like you said, it's really difficult to consistently do new things when it's risky, when there's fear involved and all that. And so sometimes you do need to be pushed into those, uh, into situations where you have to make a choice that says, I need to do something new now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, doing the game builders or, uh, you know, get just getting into the app business or meeting up with new people or whatever or or even going the publishing route you know each time something new is tried by somebody it's it's opens up this whole new potential for the future right and i think yeah, that uh if if nothing else i think that that's that's what i'm getting from from just chatting with you is this like this kind of realization or the refreshment of this idea that you just got to keep trying new stuff, you know, yeah. it doesn't mean the the system isn't broken. The market's not broken. It's just, you're not, you, you got to just keep trying new things. That's it. Find the sweet spot. And it's quite with Buildbox as well. It's, um, you know, technique that, that works really well for us is we literally try and break it. We try and do stuff that it wasn't necessarily intended to do. Like when you first open up Buildbox 2, you've got a bunch of templates. So you can make, you know, what, 15, 20 games. But we've, we've tended to shy away from that, or we've used one of the game template presets, but then gone off in a totally different direction and come up with a totally new gameplay idea. Um, because, yeah, I think you have to do something a little bit different to what 99.9% of people with Billbox would do. Totally. Most of the guys are going to open up the software, choose a template, whack in some graphics, spit out a game. Well, we come at at it, you know, slightly differently, and we try and pull bits apart, um, you know, add stuff in where maybe it shouldn't be, and um, that's how we came up with Circulate, which was one of our 
one of our best games that we released last summer. Uh, that hit uh, top seven in the US uh, game chart. Um, I think that was one of the first build box games that used um, like each screen of the iPhone was a level, mm. and you kind of like completed one level and then you went on to the next. Um, you know, and, and that came that kind of game came totally from doing totally something different. I mean, you couldn't get that gameplay preset in build box if you just opened it up. You had to go in, pull bits apart, and really try something new. So, you know, that's something that we really do with Buildbox to try and, uh, yeah, make something a little bit more unique. With that mentality of staying more unique, creating new products, breaking the mold, where does this? Where do you see this taking you in five years or something? Um, the dream is to get a number one game. Um, which I've not managed to do yet. We got a number two game in Canada last uh, last uh, couple of weeks ago, was it, or last week? But um, yeah, no, the, the the goal or the the dream is just to get a number one. Whether it's an app, probably be a game because that's kind of what we're into, what we do. But yeah, just hit number one. Um, that's obviously my my ultimate goal, and until I reach that, I'll be, you know, keep pushing to to do that. But Sort of long term, it would be quite cool to uh, you know, maybe start up a publishing company um, and publish other people's uh, games. Um, you know, looking looking ahead into the future potentially. Do you see yourself and your team staying the same? Do you want to grow your team at all, or are you pretty? You want to keep it pretty small? Um, yeah, I mean, it works at the minute. So, uh, you know, I'm, I don't feel the need to to grow any any bigger. Uh, right now, it might change in the in the future. Um, you know, one thing we've always done from day one in business is to try and keep our overheads low. Um, you know, to maximise profits. So that's something that we've always sort of kept in the back of our minds. So um, yeah, so things like just expenses, we don't. I don't sort of scrimp on on too many things. But yeah, when it comes to sort of uh, software obviously that's needed and things like that but yeah we just try and, and keep an eye on things going out of the company um to obviously maximize profits within it but yeah no um definitely in the future if uh if we need to bring more people on board then that's definitely an option but uh, it seems to work well at the moment so yeah well, it sounds like it sounds like the expenses that you do have are all focused on building better products which is that's it you know, as long as the expenses are focused, it's it. it's going to work out. Um, so we're going to do two more quick questions, and then we'll we'll uh, get everyone to go down. Was it Rebound? I think is the new one. That's the new one at the minute. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> tell everyone to go get that up to number one. Uh, the two questions I have. The first one is this is actually last week. I watched a ton of randomly. I watched a ton of graduation speeches, right on YouTube, and. If you were going to give a graduation speech to a bunch of high schoolers, you know, 14 to 18 year olds, what would the title of that speech be? Um, that's a good question. It would probably be something like, um, <laughs> it, it'd be the, the name of a new Die Hard film, like Live Free and Die Hard. No, but, um, <laughs> in all seriousness, it would probably be something like, you know, follow your passion or um, it name it something like passion profits where basically the idea being that you know you can 
in this day and age, 2016, you can pretty much make money however you please, um, whatever interests you have. You know, you don't have to go and work in an office that you hate from nine to five. Um, you know, working for someone else, you can pick a t something you like, a hobby, anything. You know, if you like selling pegs, then you can go and sell pegs on Amazon for the rest of your life, you know, and make a bunch of money. Um, so, yeah, it would be basically probably that you can, you can do whatever you want. Um, whatever you're interested in, you can make money from it. That's awesome. I was talking to my, my buddy the other day about very, something very similar to that where the older I get, the more I realize how optional most things in life are. And yeah. how you realize that you just, you, you can just, it is really all up to you, like what you want in life and just got to go out and get it. Definitely. And uh, even though, yeah, there's certain sort of boundaries that people seem to, or society builds, actually a lot of them don't exist. They've just been like made from, by other people, right? So, you know, we get to do what we want, really. Mm -hmm. Second question is, I notice on your... This is totally ridiculous, but I know it's on Facebook. You always change your profile picture to the icon <laughs> of the of the latest app. What is the how? What's the story behind that? Um, yeah, that's quite a funny question, but yeah, I do. And um, I, do, I guess at, at the beginning it was, um, I guess, just to get sort of the word out. Um, and I thought that you know I change my icon, then obviously it pops up on Facebook, and then if anyone's scrolling through through the app store and then they see my my profile picture then they'll be like ah oh, that that'll link me to them you know they'll sort of remind me of 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 you know, oh, it's a Simon Crack game sort of thing but uh, I think more recently it's just actually become a ritual now it's kind of like a good luck charm um so yeah uh, once for once for you know getting the word out on a new game and probably nowadays a bit more of a, a good luck ritual <laughs> yeah i mean i can, i mean i will tell you from my own experience, I know every time that you're publishing a new game and every time you, you update your profile picture, I click through and I see what game you're working on and I go there check it out. So, <laughs> so it's working, you know, and maybe that's like, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy on the good luck. Yeah, maybe. How can people learn more about what you're doing? How can they see the apps that you're making? How can they get in touch with you? What's the best way to do that? Uh, yeah, I've actually recently um, revamped my website. I've always had a domain name that I just forwarded to Facebook. So I've got a Facebook page, um, which is Big Cool Apps, but um, my actual website is uh, yeah www.deadcoolapps.com, um, which has got yeah all my games on all my recent sort of games on there, and there's a contact form, and I do a bit of blogging from time to time, um, just discussing different things. So yeah. Um, people can come and find me either on Facebook or, or on my website. Terrific. Well, Simon, thank you so much for taking the time. and Pleasure. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. And uh, I'll put everything in the show notes for all listeners and link to everything as necessary. Good luck with the continued success with games and publishing. And I uh, can't wait to interview you again after you get that number one spot. Oh, definitely. No, thanks very much. And yeah, if anyone else has got any other questions that... Um, that maybe I touched on or I didn't answer then yeah feel free to reach out and uh, yeah I'll help this has been another episode of the Blue Cloud Podcast for more information on app development ebooks reliable source codes and more 
Expand your mobile knowledge by going to bluecloudsolutions.com.